Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downey. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream from the Paul Korea Studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. Happy Monday. What a whirlwind weekend it was. Our inaugural Women in Sports Night took place on Saturday during the Ducks game against the Arizona Coyotes. And it was just an incredible evening, a very successful all around. Hats off to everyone here at the Anaheim Ducks who put it together and made it happen. And it was great to meet a lot of young women aspiring to work in the sports industry. I really enjoyed that aspect myself, and I know that everyone there did as well. And in particular, I had a great time spent between the benches during the game. I had quite the view, and I'm going to tell you all about it in AD's takeaways today. So the Ducks finished off their week with three consecutive wins and are heading into all-star break on a high note. Wins over Arizona twice and then the Colorado Avalanche coming on Thursday. Now, Saturday's game was a 2-1 to overtime win, so let's get to it now with AD's takeaways. My first game between the benches, and I just feel like I have a new perspective of the game. It moves so fast while you're down there, especially the line changes. That was something I was very impressed with because I've tried to jump over those boards, and I know it's not very easy, but, I mean, for these guys, they're doing it their entire lives, so not too difficult for them. Just to get the timing down was impressive, though. And I'm so honored to have been the first woman to fill the role on the audio broadcast in between the benches. Truly A very special moment for me in my career and a night that I'm not going to forget. Certainly helps when the Ducks win as well, too, in an exciting fashion. This game had no shortage of excitement. I will tell you that, especially from down at the ice level. Just being able to hear the communication that the guys had on the ice, too, was something that was very cool for me as well. So starting with the first period, I mean, that one was really all Anaheim. I felt like they controlled the period well. They got out to a nice jump despite allowing a goal and going down thanks to Nick Ritchie on the Coyotes who did score that one. Just a small mistake leading to that goal. But I felt overall it was still a great period for Anaheim, especially because they do want to get out to those fast starts, and that's something that they seem to be working on as of late. Now, Max Jones netted the only goal in regulation for Anaheim that coming in the second period. And it was great to see him have an elevated role in this game, playing on a line with Frank Vetrano and Mason McTavish. He had a great ending to the game against the Colorado Avalanche. And that seemed to be why the Ducks went with the lines they did heading into the game against Arizona. And it certainly paid off Max Jones really grinding out there and getting that goal. That was great to see for him. Now, the Ducks also spent a lot of time in the O-zone during this game, putting up 45 shots on goal against Coyotes goaltender Connor Ingram. That was definitely noticeable down at ice level. And something else that was a bit of tension with Trevor Zegers got the 10-minute misconduct in the second period. This did give the Coyotes some momentum, but the Ducks were able to limit their chances on the power play and not allow a puck to get in the back of the net. Thus, we had overtime. I was really excited when I knew we were going to overtime. 
And one thing in particular, both benches stood up during that. So I had a little bit of trouble watching the action during that, especially when John Gibson made that incredible highlight reel glove save. He's made a couple good ones this season, but this might have topped all of them so far. Steve Carroll had the call on Duckstream. Listen in now. Keller had it knocked away, and here comes Ryan Strom back to center ice. Ferreira catching up. That's Klingberg. Here's Ryan Strom knocked down as he went to stick handle. Move towards their goaltender Ingram. Back the other way. Two on one break. Keller in front of the net. A shot. Oh my God! What a save by Gibson. Breakaway. Fatano in. Shoot. Save there by Ingram. My oh my. What a sequence. That save by Gibson. Unbelievable. Fatano a shot. Save. Rebound. Another save by Ingram. Boy oh boy. Count on your hands. One, two, three, four. Goaltending saves. And we're still playing in overtime. Steve, since John Gibson broke into the NHL with the Anaheim Ducks in 2014, we've seen him make some remarkable saves. But this one would be right up there with his left arm outstretched as far as it possibly could be. He was able to get that puck uh, right on the goal line. A tremendous opportunity there for Jacob Chikrin and John Gibson in denial mode. My, oh, my. I think that's one or two of the top ones I've ever seen him make. And following the game, I was joined by John Gibson on Duckstream to talk about the save that he made and the impact of the win heading into All-Star break for the team. Here's the interview. Hi, Gibby. Alexis here. So let's talk through that overtime period. First of all, you made that amazing glove save on Jacob Chikrin. How did you get your glove out on that one? Yeah, it was just desperation. Uh, they made a nice play there, and he was trying to take me across. So I was just trying to get something in front of the – right there on the goal line and um, kind of hit my glove or whatever there. And fortunate enough, I'll take those. And not long after that, Klinger gets the puck over to Z and puts it in the back of the net. I'm sure it felt really good to close this one out tonight. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was. Uh, we, I thought we played a really good game. I mean, they, they had a good push there in the third and uh, kind of had us on their heels a bit. But we were resilient and had a good push there in overtime and found a way to get the two points and get a big win, kind of heading into break and feeling good. What did the team do to keep their emotions in check through this physicality through this game? Yeah, I mean, I think we just kind of stuck to our game plan, played our game. We didn't want to get caught up in all that. We just wanted to work hard and play our game and focus on getting two points so we could head into break feeling good and on a good note. And three wins this week. I'm sure you've mentioned it already heading into the break now, but I'm sure it feels pretty good to get these wins as you move into this little bit of time off. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously we we know we have a, a week or so off and wanted to have a good push here the last week and, and to finish that road trip off and uh, – we were able to do what we wanted to do. So it's a testament on, on us as a team and find ways to win hockey games. Thanks, John. Congrats tonight. Thanks. All right. So to wrap up AD's takeaways, some of my overall thoughts of the game, especially being down at that level, the players got very vocal as the game went on. In particular, John Klingberg was a big part of that. I like to see that leadership out of him kind of directing the play and another part of Klinger's role on Saturday if you were listening to the stream you might have heard this little story but there was a time during the game where John Klingberg skated over 
with a bunch of pieces of a gold necklace, came to the bench and said, I don't know whose this is, but we got to get it off the ice. Turns out it was Troy Stetcher's on the Arizona Coyotes. He said, oh, that's my necklace. I'll take that back. Some pendants and some pieces of a gold chain. So that was kind of funny to see something that you wouldn't be able to see unless it was right in front of you like it was for me. Now, I also mentioned John Gibson's amazing save just now. That was really cool to see the way the crowd fed off that energy. And then, of course, Trevor Zegras netting the game winner off a great pass from John Klingberg. And one last thing to note, Erho Vakanainen left the game in the third period and did not return. So, of course, we hope he is okay. He was certainly in some pain when I saw him skate to the bench, and he left the bench not long after that. But it's good that the guys now have all-star break to rest and reset and spend some time with their family and friends. And also, as a part of the Women in Sports Night, I already mentioned it, but the pregame panel that was held with our own Allie Lozoff, our ringside reporter on Bally Sports SoCal, she was the moderator of the event. And then on the panel, Linda Cohn, Misty May trainer Lauren Chamberlain, and Julie Ehrman were the panelists taking the questions from the crowd and with Allie. Now, like I mentioned, the attendees had the opportunity to ask a lot of questions, and I was very impressed with some of them. I thought they were really well thought out, and the group was able to share some powerful messages in response to them, and one that stuck out to me was how to handle a situation when you're told no in this industry, because there are certainly a lot of no's, but the group shared how to bounce back from those no's and keep pushing forward. Take a listen. I think all of us sitting up here were told no at some point in our careers or given excuses. Julie, I think in your case, you might have been more like a hundred no's to start your team. Can you share with us how you were able to overcome? Yeah, no, I mean, I have a career of no's. I actually went into a career to hear more no's than yeses. It's literally the definition of an entrepreneur. Um, but especially with building Angel City, as I mentioned, it's three female founders. None of us have sports experience of any kind. and so. We decided to bring a professional women's soccer team to Los Angeles, probably the top market in the world for sports, right? Nine professional sports teams, 11 if you count USC and UCLA, two professional men's soccer clubs, one that's killing it and one that is a dynasty. So the idea of bringing another professional team into LA was daunting, let alone a women's professional team that 10 years prior had closed. Uh, we got about 100 no's to what we were trying to do because our approach was so different. Um, the idea for Angel City really came out of the Me Too movement, the Time's Up group, and really trying to drive for equity women, and specifically equity for women's sports. Um, through all the work that the U.S. Women's National Team was doing with Time's Up at the time, Natalie and Kerr were very much involved and realized that if they really wanted to make the most change, they needed to have a seat at the table. And a seat at the table is true ownership. And so we decided to bring a professional team to L.A., but we also recognized that the why behind it was so much different. It wasn't just about building a sports team. It was about changing the narrative and at the end of the day, driving to equity. And that equity would be pay equity, viewership equity, sponsorship dollar equity, media attention equity at the time, and it's probably not much different. 4% of all um, media uh, journalism is about women's sports. I think that's grown thanks to Angel City, but it's still not at 50-50. And so we decided that that was gonna be core to what we wanted to do. We were gonna lead with passion and purpose to drive to profitability. Every single thing we did, did was gonna have an impact in the community, a positive impact that ultimately would drive us closer and closer to equity, which we knew we wouldn't get to overnight. But if we, every single action we took 
got us a little bit closer, then that goal was even more achievable. And so we went to professional investors, majority of which were men, unfortunately, because it takes a lot of money to run a, a professional sports team, and they didn't understand. They're like, wait, are you a charity? Or are you a business? Like, which one are you? And they didn't fundamentally understand that you could be both. Um, and we were also going to them and saying, hey, we have this incredible idea, we are incredibly passionate about this, and we know what we're gonna do, but we need you to fund this, and we need you to be the face of this. And it was like, hey, you get to keep all of it, and we'll take a little bit, because we just want it to exist. Uh, because that was a traditional way of doing it. And at some point, it clicked that nobody that we were pitching would ever be as passionate about us, would never care as much about us, and at the end of the day, truly didn't understand that we were building a platform that was so much bigger than sports, that we were building a global brand to drive attention and awareness to what we were doing so that the revenue that we could generate would cause the greatest amount of impact. Uh, and so once we started to talking with individuals who understand that, which happen to be celebrities and athletes because they build their platform and their brand to use it both to drive their professional careers but also whatever matters to them and, and from a social impact perspective, we felt like we sort of hit the nerve and then it was the opposite. It's like, you know what, you're gonna join us. Like, you're gonna give us money. And we built this as a startup where we find investors who believe in our mission and our purpose um, and want to be part of this movement of really getting women's sports to the level of men's sports and beyond, because I think that's where we're seeing the trend. Um, and it changed everything. Um, so we weren't stopped by the no's. What we realized, though, and what entrepreneurs realize is, when you get the no, first of all, I've found 90% of the reason you get a no is because it's just easier than saying yes. It's so, I don't understand what you're saying, so it's a no. Like, I have to ask you questions and look dumb, so it's a no, right? I, you know, this isn't my wheelhouse, so I say no. They actually don't take the time to really understand what it is you're trying to accomplish. And so no is just a reason for you to either change your story and narrative so that it becomes more relevant to them, or realize that they're probably not the right audience and to figure out who the right audience is because once we figured out who the right audience was, starting with Alexis Ohanian, who's Serena Williams' husband, but it didn't stop for another 98 investors that included the great Billie Jean King and 14 former U.S. Women's National Team players like Julie Foudy and Abby Wambach and Mia Hamm, Lindsey Vaughn, I mean, men's athletes like Kobe Jones and Ryan Khalil. So when you get your message to the right person, you stop hearing the no, and not only do you hear the yes, but the most amazing part that comes next is, how can I help? Have you been told no before, Lauren? Yeah, like that, was yeah great, that was right? powerful. <laughs> I, I know, I'm like, sorry, I was like listening yeah, so intently. I'm like, this is so cool. Um, I would say, yeah, I've been told no plenty of times. I think the biggest no that I've been told came from myself, though, and I know that we can agree on that. Like, everybody in here is like, kind of like, yeah. I told myself no a lot, and one of the things I, I told myself no about a lot was this commissioner role. And I'm widely known as the softball player, okay? I was like, Lauren, the softball player. And so that became a lot of my identity through my younger years and growing up and even into professional. And when I retired, which was in 18, um, due to injury, I kind of had to redefine a little bit of what I was doing. But it wasn't as crazy of a task as I thought because I had already started to kind of get that business sense. I was always interested in it. And I, I really wanted to see what was on the other side of all this, you know, what, what was happening when I was hitting the home run. I always wanted to know that. I wanted to get to that other side. Um, so I started working with Rawlings straight out of college. I, I started as an ambassador. 
And my first thing after I signed the contract was like, when's your winter meetings? And they were like, what? And I was like, when's, when is the winter meeting? I want to see what goes on. And so I actually flew out and they had it um, in Boston. And I got to see, meet with the sales teams and figure out what, what was the driving force behind what they were promoting, what was going out. And Jen and Morgan, I know you guys know what I'm talking about. Those are like interesting meetings. But as a player, you never see that stuff. Um, but that was kind of like my step into, huh, I just want to be equipped. And as an athlete, and a lot of you guys can understand this too, is it, to be great, you have to work at it. You've got to work at it. So yes, I knew how to hit a softball. I knew how to play on the field. But I wanted to be great in other areas and make up for my lack of going to school to be a commissioner, right? Or having that business degree. I was like, I went to school for softball. Okay, <laughs> Let's be honest. I went to school for softball. So how can I make up where I lack? And in sports, if you can't figure it out, you go practice, right? So I knew I had that on my side. I'm like, I know how to work hard. I've worked my ass off this whole time. So I, I know I can do this. So I'm going to go find the holes and, and attack where I'm, I'm a little bit weaker and figure out how to make up for it. Linda, have you been told no? Oh, a million times. Uh, there's plenty of people probably no longer alive that told me to stick to radio back in the day and that I'd never make it in TV and I didn't have a face for TV. I didn't have a look for TV and all that. So again, another example have thank God how things have changed for the better. Um, but yeah, totally. And a quick story about just uh, ESPN. I was there for the first two years, thought everything was going peachy keen. Everything was great. Nobody said anything about my work on SportsCenter. Then I was asked to go into my boss's office where two of the main bosses, both men, called me in after doing a 6 p.m. Eastern Sports Center, and I remembered I wanted to get home to watch the New York Rangers play the Devils in the playoffs, but they were keeping me, and I had to go to the, I had to go to the office. And out of nowhere, they said, you know, Linda, we know you love sports. We hear you talk about it in the newsroom. You know, everybody loves you, but you know what? Uh, that doesn't come across as much as we'd like uh, on the air. And they went on and on. They said, we think you could do better. And to cut to the chase, really, you know, cut to the chase, they said, um, we, you know, they had an option uh, in my contract to pick up two years, but they said, we're going to give you six months to do better. And they, to their credit, they did had someone that looked over my tapes with me of the shows, and it was just a simple adjustment. You know, this is the thing, communication and lack thereof, that, you know, if they just told me, like, week one, when I started this little thing, it would have been fixed. But I think they were afraid to talk to me or to tell me, um, you know, because I was, like, the main woman, you know, on SportsCenter. So, of course, I fixed it. Basically, it was, became more natural in doing highlights. And then that was it, you know. 30 years later, I'm still there. So, yeah, I was told no. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Misty? I need all of her stories. I need them all. Yes. Probably more by my parents than, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so there's some, some you want to listen to the no, and you're like, okay, I'm not going to do that. But um, I always like challenges. So I've been very lucky. I, my dad's Hawaiian, so I have this Hawaiian mentality where nothing kind of can rattle me, or at least it looks like nothing rattles me. So I always took people's negative um, comments, whether they were yelling at me on the court or anything, as I turned it into a positive. So for me, I always took the no and was like, oh, okay, well, I'm just gonna work a little harder. I put my blinders on, had my goal, and just went for it, and I was like, I'll show them. So I used the no to fuel that fire, to kind of look internally and say, what am I doing wrong? Am I doing something wrong? Do I need to work on something? Uh, what's going on in order to overcome just that hurdle? 
Um, so I always looked at no as an opportunity to get better and to show them that they were wrong. I like making people look bad. <laughs> Not all the time, but on the court. But um, So for me, no turned into that fire that fueled. and Right. I, I made it a yes. I feel like, Linda, you'll appreciate my this. This stuck with me. It, to this day, it sticks with me. I'll never forget the day I went to go and tell my boss at the law firm where I was working at the time that I was going to leave law and go and be a sports reporter. I was very excited about the whole day. I stepped out my front door. I purpose, put my best suit on. And I mean, it wasn't a secret. I had been moonlighting and leaving work early on game days to go be the in-arena host for the Habs, which he seemed to really enjoy and be proud of me about. But this day, he said, I'm making the biggest mistake of my life that I have such a promising career as a lawyer and that the only female sideline reporter who will ever be successful is Erin Andrews. <laughs> That's what he told me. So I said, okay, and I'm still leaving. And I, I went on to pursue my career. And two years after that, I was given the opportunity to host the only English language sports television show in Quebec, where I'm from, in Montreal. And he came in person to the launch party and apologized. And, wow. to we're, and we're still in wow. touch to this day. And he's a very supportive fan. <laughs> so so it, did, it came full circle. But, uh, but you know, you'll hear a lot of no's. And if you're interested, you can hear the full panel event right here on Duckstream under the Leading the Flock show. Make sure to take a listen. Like I said, if you are interested, it's about an hour long and certainly some great messages shared as a part of that. Now, after the panel, the speed mentor session took place on the Brewery X patio. I took part in that and my partner alongside me during that event was Ducks in Arena host Allie Kay, who now joins us to recap her experience as a mentor, as well as more on the night from the game experience side when the play was happening on the ice. Allie Kay joins us now on Light the Lamp. Allie, let's go back to Saturday night, the inaugural Women in Sports Night. How was it for you overall? Oh my gosh, Alexis. Well, first off, thanks for having me on. And yeah, Women in Sports Night, it was such an amazing night. I feel like the energy uh, was real. I mean, just everyone who showed up for that event, it was it was really special. And I think we're all kind of coming off a high right now after this weekend. <laughs> I thought the setting for where it was on the Brewery X patio was beautiful with the sunset and everything too. Oh my goodness. I know being outside, first of all, right. And right outside Honda center on that patio. Um, yeah, it's true. When the sun starts to go down there, it's so beautiful. And then we had just that panel of such inspiring women. Um, I feel like Allie Lozoff, you know, our ringside reporter, she killed it hosting that entire panel and, uh, everyone from Linda Cohn, I mean, Lauren Chamberlain, just the names that we had up there. It was, it was really special. Now with that panel, I mean, what were, some of the inspiring messages that you heard during that on Saturday? You know, I feel like there really was so much. Um, oh my goodness. It's hard to pick just one. <laughs> I was just thinking about this because, you know, it keeps coming up throughout the weekend. We had the women's clinic yesterday too. Um, but I feel like the one thing that really stuck with me is uh, something that Linda Cohn said. And she's like, my biggest thing when she first got into sports was she was a fan first. And I think that definitely kind of, you know, transpires in, into into your work today, you know, whoever is wanting to get into sports and things like that. But being a fan first, like knowing the sport on that side of things, I feel like that 
is kind of game changer. And I feel like that was a really good piece of advice um, that she that she left everyone with. But um, another thing, too, was, uh, you know, her best career moments, you know, have come from being a fan first, like she said. But I think to continue to, to push the limits and it's really up to the future generation of women getting into sports to continue to make that move and continue to pave the paths basically for the future generations. And she's a huge leader in that. So it was really inspiring to hear her speak. And you've been with the Ducks for a number of years. So to have this inaugural Women in Sports Night, I mean, what does it mean to you to be able to have been a part of it? You know, it is it, it was really great. And I think, um, you know, thinking back, I was like, oh, my goodness, how do we we haven't had a night like this. So mm -hmm. I think to be a part of that first night and to see, I think, the shift I've been with the organization for for nine seasons now and to just see the growth from those nine years of women in sports, the more employees we have um, at the Anaheim Ducks who are females and just the growth of the fans too, who are females in hockey and in sports in general. Um, that alone has been really cool to see and be a part of firsthand. And with the panelists too, I mean, they were from all different aspects of the sports industry. How important do you think it is for young women that were there to be able to see all the different roles that you can have within sports now? You know what? I think that was actually something that was so unique. And I think that's what really set this event like apart from anything else. You know, I've attended a lot of women in sports events and things like that. But this um, really took a turn, I feel like, because, you know, it wasn't like we were just focused on, you know, here's some broadcasters and hosts and, you know, people who are also faces of, you know, sports and organizations. But it was also let's show you what happens behind the scenes. You know, um, even, you know, Lauren Chamberlain, she's a great example. And she's, I think, what, 29 years old. Mm -hmm. um, and with her role and everything. But there's so many different avenues of sports that anyone can go into, whether it's, you know, fan development, marketing, um, you know, the digital side of things. And I think there's so much more than what people actually see that go into making even just a game happen or making an organization of a sports team even run. For you, I mean, as a woman in sports, who is someone that has supported you throughout your career in this? Oh my goodness. I feel like, you know what? <laughs> uh, that's hard, right? I mean, it's I'm been, sure there's uh, many people <laughs> you can definitely relate to. It's like you constantly are having new mentors kind of, you know, in, in your life and in your career world. And I think, um, having the mentorship event to part of the women in sports panel, that was really neat because it pushed how important mentors mentors are. Mm -hmm. Um, but me, I mean, I've looked up to many people like yourself. I've looked up to Linda Cohn, um, you know, uh, Carlin who is with Valley sports for the Kings. She's been a huge mentor to me. Um, and we kind of ended up in a way on the same path, even though we were part of rival teams, but, um, you know, and speaking of that too, it's like, we all are one. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, the most important thing for going into the future is that like women need to support women. And the more that we can do that, I think we're going to continue to conquer everything in this industry. Getting to be a part of the speed mentor session. I know I was alongside you for some of it, but what were some of your observations from that and being able to connect with all of the young women there? You know, it was really exciting for me um, just to see like we had, you know, some kids who were still in high school, like under 18 years old, a lot of um, females who were maybe even entering college, about to graduate college. Um, and then we also had women who were already in the field or trying to make shifts as well. So I think it was neat to see that the variety, I guess, of ages, um, the age range was 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 really neat. And I think this program, I mean, I was thinking back to when I was some of these, you know, 
younger females ages, you know, in your early 20s or even 18 years old. It's like this wasn't necessarily something that was available at the time. So these programs alone are already bringing so many people together that can really support each other. And heading into the game portion of the night, I mean, continuing to see the impact that it had on different activations throughout the evening. In particular, one that stood out to me was the video that was played heading into the game. Did you get a chance to watch that? I did. And it gave me chills. I'll tell you, (laughs) Uh, that was such a special video. And I mean, the hard work that went into all of that, you know, again, going back behind the scenes from, you know, a lot of our Anaheim Ducks department and um, entertainment and and all the video guys. I mean, that was that was really special. But to hear Linda Cohn actually narrate that Mm -hmm. and just the words that she you know, uses to really inspire people, but all the different sports, even in that video. I mean, I was honestly, I was speechless. It was, it was such an amazing video. Did you feel that the event left an impression on everyone that attended? Oh, absolutely. I think everyone felt a sense of that, um, you know, energy in the, in the room, the entire night or in the arena. And I think that definitely, you know, started from, from our, our event with the great panelists that we had, and that was carried over into the arena and the fans, you know, this season seems to be like the fans are definitely bringing the energy and it's been a lot of fun to be a part of, but, um, to have a lot of females in the building that night and have the ladies kind of take over. It it was awesome. (laughs) And one other thing that you were a part of over the weekend, the girls and women's clinic, the learn to play clinic on Sunday at Great Park Ice. What was that like? That was also such a great event. I mean, I can't tell you enough about how how hard everyone has worked this entire weekend to make this this so special. But um, it was cool. I actually got to get my skates on again. Um, <laughs> it's been two years since I put skates on and I actually, uh, you know, took place, took part in the clinic. Um, we had Ryan Getzloff there. He showed up um, and was helping everyone out and made an appearance. And then we also had um, Olympian Keely Moy and she was out on the ice with me. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, just doing all the drills and, and seeing all these different women come together again of all different ages too. Uh, some have never even skated before. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. some had had some experience, but um, yeah, you know, it was great. The rinks, you know, they, they geared us up. They gave us jerseys, everything, all the coaches out there. It's like they, they really took this, you know, seriously and made it so much fun at the same time. Since it was your first time putting on skates in two years, how are you feeling today? <laughs> I, I woke up and I was like, I'm a little sore. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they put me to work yesterday for sure. And I'm sure there's uh, some, some great videos out there now. <laughs> Allie Kay, thank you for joining us on Light the Lamp and uh, so great to have you as a part of the Women in Sports Night and see the impact that it had on so many different people. Alexis, thank you so much. It's always great chatting with you and congrats to you too on everything. You had a big weekend too. (laughs) Thank you so much. And it's time to go coast to coast now to hear some of the best goal calls from around the NHL over the last couple of days, beginning with our own Anaheim Ducks and Arizona Coyotes game on Saturday. Of course, it's only fitting to include this one. John Klingberg making a great drop pass to Trevor Zegras in front of the net, who put it in the back of the net to win it in overtime against the Coyotes. Steve Carroll had the call of the winner on Saturday. 141 left, now a pass by Klingberg all the way out to center. Gibson way out of the net to play it for Zegras. Coyotes were about to make a change. That uh, prevented that from happening, that feat. Now Klingberg in to Zegras. He scores! Trevor 
with the game winner. With 1.26 left to go. In overtime, 2-1, Anaheim wins. Next up, also on Saturday, the Boston Bruins taking on the Florida Panthers. It was a crazy ending in Sunrise because the Panthers, Alexander Barkov, was able to score the tying goal with just three seconds remaining in the game to force overtime. And in that overtime, Sam Reinhart kept the momentum going and netted the winner only 17 seconds into that period on a one-timer, giving the Panthers the 4-3 to three win. Now, this road trip has not been too kind to the Bruins as they are 1-2-1 and one through those four games so far. Listen to the call from Doug Plagans of Reinhardt's goal. Lundell over to Barkov, and now it's Reinhardt. Bounces off his skates. Barkov has it. Here on the near side. Barkov across. One-timer off the iron. That's in. They That's in. Went in. They score. Reinhardt, a one-timer top shelf, and the Panthers win it in overtime. It only took 17 seconds. 4-3 the final. The Panthers stun the Bruins here tonight. Also on Saturday, the New York Islanders taking on the Vegas Golden Knights. The only two goals of the regulation period coming in the second period to tie it at one. And that led to overtime for these two teams. And now during that period, the Islanders had a play into the zone with Anthony Beauvillier, who worked a pass with Matt Barzell, who then took the shot and won it for the Isles. Back-to-back wins on the weekend for New York after they won on Friday against the Detroit Red Wings. Semyon Varlamov made 45 saves as a part of their win on Saturday, including four in overtime. Chris King had the call of the winner from Barzell. As Barzell and Beauvillier bring it over the night line. Bow down the slot to Barzell. High slot, curls, right circle, shoots. He scores! Matt Barzell wins it in overtime! He is mobbed in a sea of blue jerseys at the Islander bench, and New York takes it here tonight. Two to one in overtime. Barzy scores with 31 and a half seconds to go and sends the Islanders into the break on a two-game winning streak. And the last game on Saturday that I'd like to highlight, the Edmonton Oilers taking on the Chicago Blackhawks. And the reason that I wanted to include this one is because Edmonton concluded their game by using an emergency backup goalie. The e-bug was University of Alberta's Matt Berlin, who is in his third season there currently. And it turns out it was Connor McDavid's decision to put Berlin in the net during the game. 2.26 remaining in the third period, he went in and made one save on one shot. Here the moment he came into the game now. Nugent Hopkins will line up. Good eyes, indeed. Berlin warming up in the tunnel. Played for Spokane, Seattle, and Kootenai in the Western Hockey League. For spending three years at the University of Alberta. Still Bob mentioned he's still there. Is their third? Yeah. They beat Regina tonight, 8-4. So they didn't need him tonight with that eight-goal output. That gained a split of that series. Should be noted. And this year, what is he, 4-0-1, you said? Yep, yep. So, certainly put in the time. And again, I mean, to play goalie in the Western Hockey League, you've got to be a talented player. I mean, this isn't some act of charity. 
Here's Zach Hyman forcing it back in. Two and a half to play in the third period. Berlin has made his way toward the bench. Here's Jack Johnson weaving his way in, shooting. Campbell lunging, will pull it to his chest. And now He's we may going. have the switch. Evander Kane has opened the gate. And He's indeed, going in. here he is. Matt Berlin getting an opportunity to play with 2.26 to go. Campbell will leave with 25 saves on 28 shots. And Matt Berlin, what an opportunity for him. The 25-year-old from Edmonton will play in the National Hockey League. And Zach Hyman continued his point streak as a part of this game, bringing his total to now seven games with some points after his goal on Saturday in the second period. It was a 7-3 to three win for Edmonton. You can hear the call of Hyman's goal from Ched Radio, 630 a.m. now. Trying to change that with a shot off the blocker. Rebound, tapped home, 5-1. And Hyman converts again. That's a goal in five straight games. He's got three points in the period. He's 26, and the Oilers are running Chicago right out of this building. Jack, Zach Hyman has a goal and two assists in the last two minutes and 33 seconds of this game. Hyman now one off his career high in goals. He's already race packed his career high in points. In fact, he now gives the Oilers four guys at 60 points already, and we're not even at the All-Star break. We will be in 25 minutes, but the Oilers have turned this game into a rout. In the final game as a part of today's Coast to Coast, the Toronto Maple Leafs taking on the Washington Capitals on Sunday. Toronto took a 5-1 to victory over the Capitals, and the Leafs have 70 points now on the season, and they're 6-3-1 in their last 10 games. John Tavares played his 1,000th career NHL game on Sunday during that game at Scotiabank Arena, and the captain made his presence felt on the ice by adding two helpers in the game. He's only the second player in franchise history to record multiple points during his 1,000th game. Now, one of those came on the first goal of the game for the Leafs. Michael Bunting on the power play, looking for the rebound in front of the net with Tavares getting his stick on it to Bunting, who put it in the back of the net. Listen to the call now from Joe Bowen. Lander chipping it back for Marner. Marner gets away from one man who fell. Marner now with an odd man coming to the front of the net with a pass. Riley doesn't shoot it. Marner does. It's redirected. They score. and chops it in behind goaltender Darcy Kemper. And a power play goal ties the game. It's time for my final quack for this episode where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. I want to give a little shout out to my alma mater today, Michigan State University, because on Saturday during the game, there were four Michigan State alumni as a part of the broadcast between the Ducks and Coyotes. 
on the Ducks side, John Allers on the TV call. And of course, myself in between the benches on Duck Stream. And then on the Coyotes side, Matt McConnell on the call on the TV side for the Coyotes. And then on the radio side, Bob Heathouse calling the game as well. Pretty cool. And go green. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey, as always. Come back again for more hockey talk right here on Duckstream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duckstream.